0: Now it's no longer America can't afford defense entitlements and interest without the Fed printing the money out of tax receipt. Now it's we're getting scary close to America having to print the interest on the debt alone. And when a nation has to print the interest on the debt, that's it. Currency system stop.
1: This is the Blue Collar Bitcoin Podcast, a show where average Joe firefighters explore the most important monetary technology of the 21st century. We talk Bitcoin, we talk finance, and we talk shit. Howdy there, folks. We are back in the saddle for yet another rodeo here on Blue Collar Bitcoin. This week, Josh and myself, Dan, are joined for a second time by the macro catfish from Cleveland, the one and only luke groman known for his independent thinking luke groman is a cfa who's become one of the most respected names in the global research sector this discussion does not disappoint over the next hour plus we cover luke's more detailed take on bitcoin bitcoin versus gold why energy is the real base layer of value transfer the transition to a multipolar global environment the world's desperate craving for a decentralized neutral reserve asset And we end this one with Luke's practical suggestions for everyday portfolios. In this chat, we do spend a fair amount of time comparing and contrasting Bitcoin versus gold. And one of the key distinguishing factors Bitcoin has in its favor is the ease of self-custody. If you do own Bitcoin, it's imperative you safeguard this asset from counterparty risk. Enter the cold card, the ultimate solution for those who prioritize the safety and integrity of their Bitcoin. The Cold Card is a straightforward yet robust device designed to enable you to store your private keys offline. Sleep like an overfed sloth with a snooze button, knowing that your funds are shielded from potential threats. Whether you're a seasoned Bitcoin enthusiast or just starting your journey, the Cold Card is user friendly and adaptable to your growing knowledge and needs. Don't forget you can access discounts on various CoinKite products, including the Block Locks through our affiliate link provided down in the notes. Plus, get an even more enticing deal on the cold card by using promo BCB. That's B-C-B. Before we unleash Luke Roman, several other quick reminders as fall is upon us. First, open enrollment is here. If you have healthcare needs or healthcare bills and want to save money while supporting people rather than large insurance companies, check out CrowdHealth at joincrowdhealth.com. And you can use code BLUE, B-L-U-E, for a big discount on the first six months. Second. With winter weather here, there is no better time to use a space heater and an air purifier that also mines Bitcoin. Check out the HeatBit at HeatBit.com and you can punch code BCB for a discount. Lastly, you can also use code BCB for 10% off tickets to the Bitcoin 2024 conference in Nashville next July. All right, click those seatbelts. Get ready for a wild ride with LG ready to get down and dirty here today, Josh. I'm, I'm excited. I don't know why Luke decides to waste his time with us. Like, it's just because we pester him.
2: We pester him <laughs> until he finally says, I got to get these guys off my back and get this over with, you know. We have to come up with a name for you, Luke. You got the Oracle of Omaha. We got to come up with something
0: catchy for Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Cleveland. Yeah. Uh, left, uh, the knucklehead from Cleveland. Oh, wait. Are you in Cleveland or are you in Cincy? I'm. I went to you, Cincinnati. My one, my okay. oldest boy goes to Cincy, but I'm from Cleveland, so I, it's it, either one works. I, I, you know, it's. I'm not. Uh, I, I'm from Cleveland. I root for the Browns, sadly, although not so sadly this year. But
2: we have the Bears. We're familiar.
0: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. You guys, yeah. arguably, you're you're trying to do like you're trying to do the Browns imitation. You know, the post '99 <laughs> Browns imitation lately.
1: Being a Bears fan is pathetic. It isn't it's absolutely pathetic. You basically just get cucked as a sports fan over and over and over again. <laughs>
2: but you fall for it every year, right?
1: <laughs> well, it, you know that you root for a horrendous sports team when just absolutely tiny stimulus gets you excited. Like yesterday, I was watching the Bears, and they have this this dude that played Division Two football paget, who started yesterday because Fields was injured. I mean, his performance wasn't even impressive. He was just like completely average performance if you really zoomed out. But as a Bears fan, hope is suddenly injected, and you know you're about to be on the road to disappointment
2: once again. Dude, it's a perpetual bear market when you're a bear fan.
0: <laughs> perpetual. <laughs> you're talking to a Browns guy, so yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm, I'm glutton for punishment. So it's yeah, we'll we'll see how the rest of this year goes for sure. Luke, I
1: want to ask you a question just about your life flow and vocation uh, that I've thought about listening to you. It is so apparent reading, listening to your analysis that you just spend an abhorrent amount of time studying and researching. You're just all in, completely invested, which is part of the reason FFTT has been successful. My question is, Do you ever get sick of it? You've been doing this for a long time, right? Nose to the grindstone sort of every week. I think last time you were on here, you described yourself as like a bottom-feeding catfish who just tries (laughs) to to (laughs) take in stuff. But you're just constantly inhaling this, distilling ideas. It's remarkable to pay attention to. But as a a window into your life, does it ever exhaust you is question one. And then if so, how do you sort of work through that malaise, keep the motivation up, and keep cranking?
0: So... Bigger picture, no, I, I don't get sick of it. Uh, it's I mean most not most every day I wake up I'm excited to learn uh, and and what's going on in the markets et cetera. Um, there as, as this has gone on, it's like a lot of things, right? It's like the the overnight ten year success, which is you know you you know paddling like crazy under the water like the duck while while sort of steaming along you know steaming along calmly uh, on the surface. It has required a much more focus on what I would call balance um, in the last two or three years, maybe. Um, I think as visibility has increased, as, as events have accelerated macro, geopolitical, um, and really managing my energy around what i'm devoting energy to because otherwise it can just physically drain you and i was finding at times that that was the case right i can i can feel if i'm on twitter too much i can start to physically feel it um and so that really becomes there's a management process to that and it's um it's ongoing it is you know some days i could end of the day and be like oh I managed my energy terribly today. I managed my attention terribly. And some days I, I, you know, I did it well. And then it's also listening to you know, my body feels like death or I need to sleep and I'll sleep in. Like I'll, there are days where um, yeah. I'll sleep in to eight or eight 30. Uh, and it's great. <laughs> uh, there are days when, you know, I wake up at three 30 or four in the morning and like, something hits. And it's just like one of those things where, oh my gosh, it's a revelation. And I just know there's no going back to sleep. I have a pen and paper by my bed and I'll roll over and write something down and get yeah. it out. Uh, that usually works, but there's sometimes where it's still going. And I just sort of quietly you know, slink off so I'm to not wake up Mrs. FFTT. And I go down and I just start writing. And, and so it really is just, I think, acknowledging a to work when the flow is there but then also be acknowledging and 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 needing to manage this balance because it it, it's especially the last couple years it's pretty until you start layering these wars in and things accelerating yeah. like it's you know being on twitter is kind of a drag right now like it's it's or be you know reading reading the news trying to stay up and informed it's a drag it's it's You're you right. know ugh. What you just said about
2: waking up and writing something down is so important in my mind. I do that not often, but when I do, I'm, I've, I've often made the mistake of not writing down whatever it was I thought of. And then you try to remember that like during the next day. It's like a dream. It's, it vanishes. You yep. had it when you woke up and it just vanishes on you. And it's amazing the way that works. I don't, I don't know what's going on in our brains, but you can just completely forget a great idea. Yeah. I wanted to circle back to, we were talking just before we started the discussion about um, how we discovered you years ago in the gold forum, like you have a big following from gold bugs, and that kind of lends itself to you know people that transitioned or kind of still ride the fence between gold and Bitcoin. I'm pretty solid on your thoughts on gold, and I think I, I understand the argument, and it makes tons of sense to me, and it has for quite a long time. But more and more recently, we're hearing the word Bitcoin out of you and a lot of other macro analysts. The question really is. Where do you see gold and Bitcoin in the following twenty years? Do you do you think that gold is going to be just a barbarous relic, as uh, the Oracle of Omaha likes to call it, or is it going to have? Are we going to ride the fence between the two of these, or is Bitcoin going to be much more prominent uh, in the next in the next ten to twenty years in your
0: view versus gold? I think. There, let me let me put. I, I think there is going to be. Unless there is some sort of energy productivity miracle, right? Where nuclear fusion, portable fission, you know, these alien things we've been hearing about with our A, real, B, we've reverse engineered something and we sort of get like free energy, some leap forward in terms of energy productivity. If those, something like that doesn't happen, then we have an economic problem of basically. Uh, a global sovereign debt bubble bursting the amount of debt you have in the system you need negative real interest rates and to drive the economic growth to service the debt you need increasingly more expensive oil in particular um that's not to say we're running out of it it just means you you can look around i mean this is not you know it's just boom you know the two dollar oil is gone then the ten dollar then the twenty that's so on and so forth. You know, even now they're doing a bunch more deep sea drilling over over the next ten years. Great, that's like 50 sixty dollar oil. That's like the minimum. So you need more and more expensive oil, which means you need. There's this mismatch between low inflation here, high inflation here. That fundamental disconnect means uh, global sovereigns are cannot save in debt. Basically, debt has to lose money relative to energy. Over the next 10, 20 years, if we don't get an, an, uh, an energy miracle, productivity miracle. So, in that world, then you need a new neutral reserve asset. You need some other asset that you can save at that is going to um, sort of cut that Gordian knot between needing higher prices for energy and, and lower, rates, lower rates of inflation, just keep the debt. From there, there is a, I, my view of it is that there's a pathway. The, the, I think, gold sort of steps into that realm first, quite frankly, because the crisis is now um, and gold sits on central bank balance sheets and they really don't want to use it. They don't want to do it, et cetera, et cetera. But we can see across the world for the past 10 years, global central banks have been adding to their gold reserves and not adding to their debt reserves. They've not been adding to their treasury, at the central bank level. And so I think gold sort of has its first step up at the central bank's sovereign level. I, I think de facto we can see Bitcoin has been serving that role uh, amongst the people, if you will. I think Bitcoin does a lot of things that gold does better than gold. And I, and I, I, I like Bitcoin a lot. It has outperformed gold. Some of that is because of you know sort of the, the the instruments that have been used to manage gold's price by the sovereigns to try to keep the existing system going have capped have the price of gold in a way hasn't really happened with Bitcoin. Uh, so my view of it as it stands now, and this, and this could change, is I think we see both work. I think gold probably works and then probably has some sort of step function higher at some point in the midst of some debt crisis where it becomes mathematically obvious to everybody that they need. you know, Basically, they need something on central bank balance sheets to eat a lot of debt. Something that offsets a lot of debt that's there so they can delever instantly. And there's no Bitcoin on the balance sheet, there is gold. So they can write up the gold, write down debt to GDP, normalize policy, and go from there. And so I like them both. I, I think gold will be used first. Is it possible that this system falls apart and in their dogma, there being the central bankers dogma to just not use gold, that it falls apart on them and Bitcoin sort of de facto. Yeah, that's, it's entirely possible. Um, it's not my base case, but it's also, you know, I'm allocated in a way that like that, that would be okay. Like if we completely demonetize, if we go from here to gold being a lump of metal for decorative purposes and Bitcoin at whatever huge number, like, Okay, like I was wrong on my goal and my allocation of Bitcoin is so much that I'm like laughing. I'm using my gold as paperweights. So (laughs) um, that's how I think about how I think about it. But I think over the next ten years, it's this funda unless there's some energy miracle, the forty year bond bull market is over on a real basis. Doesn't mean it can't, you know, you can you can make money now, but on a real basis, bonds have to lose relative to energy.
1: Yeah. I, I like, Josh, that you started here. Luke, I mean, we're going to, in the in the latter part of this discussion, we're going to spend a bunch of time talking about the bond market and the fiscal conundrum and, and the spiral and all that. But what we find in these conversations is that we end up talking so much macro that we barely touch Bitcoin at the end. So I like kind of starting here. And I, I think you make a couple of good points. One thing I push back on with Bitcoiners that think gold is completely useless and, and destined for imminent failure, I, I just think there's an overestimation of, of how quickly asset understanding changes. I mean, I, we are enamored with a lot of Bitcoin's properties. We're very bullish on where it's headed, but there's still really significant stigma. There's a massive knowledge gap. It is in many ways unproven, right? It's still very young and theoretical in its mission. I know that may trigger some people, but uh, case in point, Gold is sitting on sovereign balance sheets right now. Bitcoin, not so much. Okay. So I think there is a valid point to be made that if this system is going to blow up and spiral out of control the way you anticipate and we largely agree, people are going to be clamoring for what you just mentioned, neutral reserve assets, right? Hard assets that can't be printed. And you know societal understanding of what what that represents, gold comes top of mind for most people right now right? And until that perception changes, right? Narratives matter, people's understanding of assets matter tremendously. To say that gold's not going to be part of the picture seems unbelievably naive to me. Here's my question. What what sort of would tip the scales for you? So gold does seem to be your fiscal debt spiral hedge of choice, right? What would Bitcoin need to start accomplishing? What would you need to start hearing and seeing for you to say, you know what, maybe, maybe Bitcoin is going to be the main show here that, that eats a lot of this.
0: I mean, I think first and foremost, you'd want to see it show up in, at a sovereign creditor, right? So uh, there've been various rumors that Russia is mining Bitcoin. You know, If for some reason, we found out Russia alongside all that gold that they've been accumulating over the last 15 years, hey, they're mining Bitcoin now. They've got rigs attached to gazprom gas yes, and away we go you know china doing something in, in, similarly in you know in terms of converting dollar surpluses or what have you or whatever uh, trading between russia and settling in it something like that even on an experimental basis would i think be your first highlight of that uh hearing you know aramco is getting involved with some sort of mining operation or something like that, a Bitcoin mining operation, something like that, where, or they're just gonna divert one little gas field to one little, ri- something like that, where, yes, so, and I, and I think they specifically don't do that because I think it's very powerful, right? Is, is the Bitcoin market relative to the global oil market alone, yes, some, that, that's probably what I would be looking for first is some sort of, you know, and you've seen arguably from the US, some sort of open mindedness about this in terms of Jason Lowry, uh, his, his book, Sophomore. And it, it's brilliant. He's brilliant. He has kind of highlighted that. My understanding is that reading that, there's probably some people at the Pentagon that have read that um, and in the intelligence community that have read that and understand that if push came to shove a Trump card, the United States could play would be to say, uh, you know, in, in the midst of a crisis. Okay, we are going to be settling in 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 Bitcoin. If somebody else tries to weaponize gold against us, for example, if we don't have the gold, you know, if we don't have eight thousand tons because it was used in secret ops over the last forty years, as some people say, I you know, I don't believe that, but I would concede readily that it's entirely totally possible. Then, in an emergency, you know, that type. So you you have seen the U.S. talk a bit about that. At least there has been some public. So. I would need to see more of that before I sort of reorder that, that path from here to gold you know, and Bitcoin sort of more organically uh, from a grassroots level, uh, do what I think it's ultimately, you know, what it has done or I think what it's ultimately going to do.
2: You mentioned earlier, and there's a lot of contention. Um, Joe Carlosari comes to mind when you talk about managing gold. We've heard for years the rumor that papers used to push gold around potentially, Could you explain how that could work to us on a very simplified level? And then how you think it is that could happen to Bitcoin? Could the ETF be used in that sort of way? Like, Explain to us how paper can move the price of an asset like that. And then if that's a concern of yours, moving forward with the ETF approval.
0: I think it's important to start when you're thinking about the ability to manipulate the price of something. You have to look at that something's stock to flow ratio. Okay. And the higher the stock to flow ratio, the easier it is to manipulate. The reason that is, is think about it this way. Gold has a stock to flow ratio and stock to flow ratio is simply all the gold that was ever mined is your stock and your flow ratio is the amount that's mined or consumed. And so for gold, that number is roughly 60 or 65 stock to flow. By way of comparison, let's use oil arguably the most valuable substance on the planet still. Oil, when oil's inventories are really high, the stock to flow ratio is maybe 1.2, and when they're really low, when you start to get concerned about shortages, they're like 1.1, 1.05. And we can see what happens when you have huge swings in a with a paper market, a, a big paper market in a low stock-to-flow ratio asset. We saw it at April 2020. When oil prices went to negative 37? Wild. Oh, shit. I own oil. I need to sell it. There's no place to put this stuff. Sell, 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 right? So the way to think about the stock-to-flow ratio for purposes of manipulating the underlying is a shell game. And the stock-to-flow ratio is simply the number of shells per peak. So if you have in oil, you cannot separate. The P or the physical fundamentals. P is where supply-demand. And in oil, 1.1 to 1.2. Like, like you, you, you can't store the stuff everywhere. And if you're short, you're going to know because there's going to be gas lines. And so it's very difficult to separate, to use paper, paper promises of oil to separate the supply-demand of oil for very long. The physical market will just, it, there's, there's not enough shells to hide the peak. In contrast, in gold, 60 shells, 60, 60x stock to flow, there's 60 shells for every peat mm. because you're not consuming the gold. It's, and, and by the way, a high stock to flow ratio is just, that's money. <laughs> that's, that's a, it's, it's a money-like substance. It's, a, it's an asset, of a, a store-of-value asset. So with gold having such a high stock to flow ratio, it's been very easy. You create unallocated paper gold, right? So that's the big one centered in London. You know, there's gold futures and gold futures do create volatility, but ultimately there's in every future, there's a buyer, there's a seller. So it's the purists. And I think the purists are largely right in this case is the real way you manipulate gold, right? So you're going to have lines, the physical, you're going to have unallocated paper, Right, so you go to London, you say, "Hey, I want to buy 100 million in gold." I say, "Duh," and 100 million in gold—that's that's simply credit gold. That is a bullion bank in London, crediting their gold account, their short gold, boom. And then they go out and buy gold futures, and sort of where the unallocated market intersects with the futures, right? So it, it is. That's why I say the purists are technically right, but it's at any rate, let's keep it simple. They promise you 100 million in gold. Great. And as long as you never need it, which you probably aren't, what happens is you, there's been no, and in fact, once you, if you've been paying attention for the last 20, 30 years, the fact that the regulators have allowed this expansion of unallocated gold, right? You know, hundred million, hundred million, done, dun, done, dun. So now there's, you know, billion, there's a hundred ounces outstanding for every ounce. And it's a very centralized pile of gold, as you know. A lot of Bitcoin uh, Bitcoiners have pointed out that's a very fair, you know, and it's controlled by a small number of people. And that number of people holding gold has gotten much more centralized over the last twenty years with the with the you know ETFs, etc. That's a very fair uh, criticism. So that is ultimately the issue.
2: So, I mean, I think a lot of proponents of Bitcoin would say, like, well. That's the centralized issue with gold, right? And Bitcoin doesn't have that issue. But where that int- that issue is reintroduced is with these ETFs that are you can't take possession from. You you know you buy the uh, BlackRock ETF potentially, and there's no delivery option. You can't just say, you know what, I'll I'll just decide to take delivery of my Bitcoin instead of having you hold it. They don't give you the option. So now they have created this centralized hub where they don't necessarily have to prove they have the Bitcoin. Um, and you can't take possession of it. So now it can be rehypothecated. And that's where the issue rises. Is, is that correct?
0: Without knowing chapter and verse on the ETF and all of those constructs, conceptually, yes, in essence, that is a potential problem. Now, how do they get people to give up their ETF or their, their Bitcoin to a centralized ETF? Like, we can sort of look back to the GLP, right? They let, you know, gold went from 250 or 300. When I guess GLD came up November of '04, maybe we'll say, and it, um, you know, it was probably four hundred dollars, and it ran to thousand by '08, early 08, kind of pulled back in the Great Financial Crisis, and then ran to two thousand. Um, all along, hey, look at the assets in GLD, rising, 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 and that. So my point is, is from a tactical standpoint, even. Sort of secularly for a while. The only way you're going to get that that fund to draw the assets in is by letting the price, the spot price, run for a while, and then at some point down the road, they can use that to control it. Now, a couple things that are different, of course, with Bitcoin is you you still have the decentralized nodes verification, right? In a way that is is much different than gold. Number two, unlike buying physical gold, which is like a pain in the ass and most people still don't know how to do it, particularly for the younger generations, it's actually easier to buy physical Bitcoin than it is to buy physical gold, right? Like it's, it's a lot easier to buy GLD ETF, right? If I have a brokerage account, and I want to own gold, it's way easier by GLD, ETF, or if I'm a, a, a you know future or a, 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 an institution, it's easier by gold futures, than it is to actually buy the physical and take the lead. That is not true for the average retail investor for Bitcoin, particularly, I don't I'll draw an arbitrary line, say age 35 and below, people that are very comfortable with phones and with technology and, and sort of, like, I don't think that's true. Uh, it's a lot easier to get on Coinbase or on, you know, swan bitcoin whatever and and just say boom boom and and then hold store it so that's the thing that is very different that to that sort of etf hey let's suck up all of the physical supply and then let's expand the unallocated derivatives and let's and we'll use it that's that i think is probably the model that some of the you know the powers that be are looking at but there are some areas where that model breaks down so you know let's see how it plays out
1: I think a lot of good points made there. You know, we have talked some recently about the concerns. Actually, our last episode, we talked about the ETF quite a bit and and basically the potential perils of somebody else quote unquote hodling your Bitcoin, right? Because although a hardcore Bitcoiner would say, you know, it's self-custody or bust, a lot of people are going to be buying these funds, someone, some intermediary is going to be storing them and they're not going to be using their Bitcoin. Back to your point. The, the main value proposition, at least for big money right now, isn't to move this thing around or buy things with it. It's to sit on it. And so that, that is, if somebody else is you know, accumulating it and then it's just sitting there, that presents from a first principles basis, all these opportunities for manipulation. I think some of the points you brought up though, that are very fair and worth noting on the bullish side of Bitcoin is we do have a level of transparency on this ledger that is totally unparalleled in human history, right? There are so many different sets of eyes with so many different incentives staring at this thing. And so I think if you do play those manipulation games, they may work for a period of time, but if you zoom out over years, I think it's going to be really hard to, to pull that off and like you said, the the frictions of self custody are increasingly well lubricated, especially for a young generation that knows their way around this stuff. It's a, it's a it's pretty simple. I mean, most Bitcoiners have walked through it. It may seem intimidating to a boomer, but it it really is. You hop on YouTube, see a video, buy a hardware wallet. It's not all that hard. So you, there is the ability to call a bluff on this centralizing force in a way that hasn't existed before.
2: Yep. And you know what's really a turn off to Zoomers or anyone the younger generation when it comes to gold? When you bring a box of gold coins to the post office and send it off to New York to get <laughs> that is not a situation that feels good at all. I had a, I had a box of like a decent amount of gold coins that I sent off to Kidco like I don't know like seven or eight years ago, and they got lost in the mail. Oh, no. Your Bitcoin's not going to get lost coming to you with your, in your cold storage. <laughs> well, it, unless you it, send th- the wrong
0: it, it, Yeah, you can send it to the yeah. wrong address. Well, but, that's true. Yeah. But you, I mean, yeah. you
2: double check that and it, yep, it, yep. you don't have to depend on somebody else to, you know, oops, I lost this box. It's in the back <laughs> of a, you know, I figured out there were gold coins in it and I stole them. <laughs> not fun.
1: I, I think this gets, this goes back to the topic we were discussing earlier about assets that are going to be in high demand the collective consciousness of, deci- of society and markets decides what's in high demand. And especially in in a date and time where things are moving this quickly from a technological standpoint, you really could see the window flip, right? Bitcoin goes from unknown, complex, overwhelming to the most obvious easy choice for a new generation. And that could happen in a f- you know fairly short order. I'm not talking one year, but Let's just play out, you know, sovereign debt unwind, gold and bitcoin kind of participating, and then a new generation going, why are we dealing with this yellow rock when this digital thing works better? I, I think the main high level point here is why not play both sides of the fiddle here? You made the point earlier. Yeah. If if these things are going to go up at the levels that they have the potential to, it's not going to require a huge allocation of either to be safe in an environment that's
0: really precarious. That's where I really come down on it because I think it's important to look at sort of you know the the level of 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 sort of a um, that you were just describing, right? In terms of the population get, getting a degree of comfort with Bitcoin faster than people anticipate, that is, I would call let's just call it broadly retail. It's an oversimplification, but that's retail, yeah. and that's important. It's potentially really important. It's almost revolutionary. Uh but ultimately, at least in the near term, in my view, it doesn't matter. And why I say that is is it's, it's the giants that matter, right? It is, what does Russia mm. want? What do oil exporting... Mm. Let me put it back up. Oil exporting United States creditors with nuclear weapons and oil importing US creditors with nuclear weapons. What do they want mm. and what are they doing? And those are what I would call the giants. You know, it's, And these two... It doesn't necessarily mean that these can't overtake that. There can't be sort of a popular revolution, if you will. That's entirely possible, particularly if the West continues to drag its feet by capping gold. Right? If the West keeps capping gold while Russia and China keep buying up gold, um, and gold doesn't go anywhere, then the U.S. retail community is never going to buy gold, which is in the short run smart for the policymakers, but in the long run stupid, because what it means is to go back to the stock-to-float flow ratio The way you get gold to rise in value is you collapse the stock to flow ratio. So if you go from 60 to one, the price of gold, one of two things, there's one of two things has to happen. Either you have to increase your unallocated gold promises, your derivatives by 60x or 59x. And even then, it'll only work for a little because you're going to run out of the physical. Or you got to let the price of gold run like Unbelievably, and so okay. How do you get it go from sixty x to one x? Well, the stock to flow ratio of oil, is one, one point two, whatever. Stock to flow of gold is sixty. If Russia and China agree that we're going to settle net oil imbalances in gold, and I and and de facto that's what they're doing. Like this isn't hy- hypothetical. Like if you look at it, that's what's happened. Um, small. But that's what's happening. Then de facto the price of the the, the stock to flow ratio of gold starts to go from sixty towards one. It starts to go to oil because gold and oil become fungible. And at that point, either this is this is the late sixties, early seventies, all over again. You lose physical, you lose physical, you lose physical, and then you say no mass, and then the price of gold goes like crazy. Mm. And what are we seeing right now? London, New York. Losing gold, losing gold, losing gold. Where's it going? East. What's happening in oil? Oil is priced in yuan. There's just a headline someone said to me earlier this morning. 95% of the trade between Russia and China is being done in yuan and rubles. Oh, who cares? Russia's only... Russia's only. Uh, uh, they, they, they've got the GDP of Italy or Portugal. Who cares? They're also 17% of the oil. Ex- 17%. Yeah. That will force... Like It's just a matter of time gold will move towards oil stock to flow ratio. So that's sort of a, a, you know, it's this retail, I think is inexorable. It's going to happen over time. The giants, there's two different sides, right? There's what we want and we spend a lot of time. We, we collectively here in the West, what do we want? There's not as much time really spent around what are the Russians goals? What are the Chinese Mm. goals? In what they're doing beyond oh you know Putin bad she bad dictator autocrat blah 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 and 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 some of those things are probably true in some level I don't care I just want to know like I'm not Chinese I don't live there I want to know what their motivations are and their motivation are their systems will collapse if they don't shift to reserving in some sort of neutral reserve asset if they don't shift to being able to buy and transact in their own currencies and we're watching it happen.
1: Yeah, they're hitched to a ship that they're fully aware is is headed underwater. And they're going to try to weasel their way out of these chains for sure. Um, To switch gears slightly and to make this, I want to start kind of high level and basic. You and we talk all the time about what we know is an extremely concerning sovereign debt situation. And I guess I want to make a comment right off the bat. I know that... Some people maybe especially in bitcoin are like, "Oh, I've heard I've heard so much talk about the debt and and debt loads and all this stuff." Well, folks, it it really is the headline of our time economically. And first of all, these things don't play out in 4 months. So, you're going to hear about this over a long period of time because this really is quite obviously the theme of the decade or beyond. It's a, it's a huge problem that does need fixing. Like let's let's distill this down to real people. These are you, me, households, here's my question. If you, were, if you were to talk to somebody that's kind of just entering this conversation and is unaware of these problems, how did we get here, Luke? How are we at this concerning of an environment fiscally and from a debt, sovereign debt perspective? What, what happened? I, go back as far as you want and catch us up on to how the shit show is, is, is this crazy at this point.
0: Um. I would encourage listeners to go buy the book "Price of Time" by Edward Chancellor and read it. It's amazing. We'll link that. Yeah, and it's the same. It's it's the same crap over and over and over and over. It's human nature, which is greed and fear, and and trying to allocate resources via economics, etc. So, you know, we we end a World War II. We set up a system where dollars the center of the system. Tied to gold at 35 an ounce. Everyone else is tied to us. Uh, we do a lot of consuming to try to help people get back on their feet after the war. Pretty soon, by nature, these, you know, the Japanese, the Germans in particular, are very productive uh, economically and they begin to outcompete us. Uh, full stop. That's all it is. They outcompete us. And so now they want to. Under the terms of the system, they're supposed to will be allowed to settle in gold at 35 an ounce. And while they're out-competing us economically, we are also doing dumb things politically. We are doing things as if there are no costs to them. Guns and butter, right? So Vietnam, galactically stooped, uh, based on a view that you know we need to contain the Soviets. And maybe that was the right thing to do. It's very hard to argue the counterfactual, You know, what you kind of get to 89. So we run these deficits, they start wanting the gold, and then so we change the rules. You can't have the gold. We close the gold window. First, we, you know, we re-revalue from 35 to 42, and the London gold pool breaks down, and then Nixon just closes the gold window and changes the rules. Part of the rule change was basically setting up the petrodollar system where basically the dollar was kept as good as gold for oil. Uh, in other words, a treasury bond held its value in oil at a range for uh from 73 to oh three for almost 30 years oil traded between basically 15 dollars and 25 dollars a barrel which is incredible i mean it was basically a, a, an oil stand and then that broke down uh same reasons as always is you know some of it is growth some you know and that's it's not all bad things it's not all dumb things there's there's a share of dumb things um there's also, you know, growth. When, when, when growth moves non-linearly with technology versus, um, you know, sort of this underlying system, it, it creates these strains. So, you go back, you know, 2000, we have a stock bubble. It's, it bursts. We kick it upstairs to the housing system, to the banking system by creating a housing bubble. It bursts. Uh, we kick it upstairs to the sovereign debt sub subs- uh, level by backstopping everything. And now this like, global sovereign debt bubble is bursting, uh, like they have throughout history. If you read, you know, Price of Time, uh, and uh, there's one last bubble to have, which is the fiat currency bubble, which is we're, we're coming to a head. There is an interest rate where the United States government, the most powerful nation in the history of the world, cannot afford its interest, its defense, and its entitlements. And we're actually already there. Like if you, we can't pay those three out of in, out of tax receipts now. Um, part of the reason people don't see it is because of how the system is structured with 13 trillion in offshore debt, the euro dollar system if the US decides not to print the money for those three big things which are bigger than their receipts by 10-15% already it paradoxically drives the dollar up, it starts crowding out the world and the dollar is up so people like I hear all the time oh the dollar's going up so we have nothing to worry about I'm like The dollar going up means you should be scared ships Um, because the more the dollar goes up, it creates a greater squeeze around the world and they own a lot more assets and it creates this feedback. Ultimately, this comes down to the same thing that's happened for thousands of years. Again, in price time is they have to default or restructure the debt or they have to print the money. That's it. Yeah. And default or restructure the debt is, hey, 70 million boomers, you guys are rich enough, you have 30 trade in assets, we're slashing entitlements by 60%. Um, defense, you know, I know Israel, Ukraine, blah, blah, Taiwan, blah, 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 sorry. The budget's cut by 60%. Or we cut rates. Like, that's it. Like that, that's And there's a lot of gnashing of teeth and disgust and, and a lot of ink spilled. It's noise. At the end of the day, it's noise. Yep. Print or default.
2: And we're there. Yeah, that's... That also reminds me of Changing World Order by Dalio. Um, I haven't read the yep. price of time that's on my list, but he goes through you know the rise and fall of empires over the last 500 years. And it, just as you enumerated there, it's the same old story every yep. single time. We, you know It's the human nature of being able to print money and eventually you blow yourself up. One thing I really appreciate about your perspective on all this though, is how you tie energy back in with everything. And I don't think most people really appreciated how... Important energy was until the Ukraine situation happened, and you know oil supply and all of that. It was it was the combination of COVID and Ukraine that really sent light bulbs off around the world as far as energy's importance. You you talked on another podcast recently about how, like Saudi Arabia is a good example. You talked about how we transitioned from gold to the petrodollar, and now this transition from the petrodollar seems to be happening. And the reason for that, in a very simplified uh, way, is that. Saudi Arabia traditionally has traded their oil for treasuries. At the moment, treasuries are, even though they're still reaping some pretty decent interest rates on their face at the moment, they're still negative in a lot of ways. And you're losing money by sitting on a lot of these as their rates go up. So Saudi Arabia is trading real energy, barrels of oil for treasuries that are losing value. It's a bad trade and it might be better for them to just leave these things in the ground or alternatively. Find another partner, Russia, China, who are willing to trade in something more valuable. Talk a little bit about that, those dynamics. Just explain why this energy and gold, potentially Bitcoin tie-in is so important, or basically for something of value, of commensurate value to be traded for energy.
0: Yeah, so it's one of these things where if you ask a fish to describe its environment, the very last thing it would list would be the water, right? So- we don't think about energy, particularly in America, because since 1971 or 73, we literally have been able to print dollars for oil. That's the deal. It's great. Yeah. You know, and so like my wife, Jai, you know, my wife, Jai, is a 7,000 pound truck. Why? Gas yeah, is three bucks a gallon. And it's been three bucks a gallon for a long time. You know, if, you know, when, when I go to London and I, I, I you know, people say, hey, we kind of, how big a car, you know? How makes your wife's car, right? Not that's because I'm American, right? American, Midwest, American. And so like the, the, the stereotype of Midwestern yeah. Americans in England is like, we drive these big honking trucks and it's like, well, stereotypes happen for a reason, right? Well, you need to
2: put on at least 150 pounds to hit that stereotype, Groman.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Luke, you got to look in the back parking lot of a fire station too. Every Pickups pick galore, all backed in, you know, mostly for no reason. No, you no, know, yeah, not many yeah. tradesmen on the side just because they can that's right exactly so i might need to move something from home depot dan
0: (laughs) right yeah you gotta put the kids baseball team in there during the whole parade once in you know in in july once a year um no so but what people in particularly in, in the west but particularly in america as a result miss is that energy is the base layer to currency energy is the base layer to our system implied or built into the valuation of Every asset on the board, with the exception of of gold and and sort of Bitcoin, but we'll set those aside for a second. With the exception of gold, for sure, is cheap and rising supplies of cheap oil, rising you know, you have a plentiful and rising supplies of cheap and cheaper oil. Why do I say that? Think about okay, um, the average house in America has a valuation in the outer ring suburb. The average city in America has no public transportation to speak of. The valuation of that house is based on gasoline being cheap. You take gasoline to 12 bucks a gallon, what happens to the value of the houses in the outer ring suburbs across basically every suburb in America? They collapse. The housing values. What happens to the value of the mortgage bonds on those houses? They collapse. What happens to the banks based that hold the mortgage bonds or the government that holds the mortgage? They collapse. The pensions, they collapse. The, you know, what happens to the value of Amazon.com and the, and the 70% of goods and consumption of this country that are moved via heavy-duty truck on a just-in-time basis if gasoline goes to 10 or 12 or $15 a gallon? It all reorders down. Oil is nature's discount. Energy is nature's discount. So something changes fundamentally with the energy supply situation if oil starts to structurally get more expensive, that changes everything. Everything we all know about the asset markets over the last 40 years is wrong. Because it's, again, at a retail level, you can see, okay, every asset in America, other than gold and, and Bitcoin to a degree, get, ha- have an implied energy base layer to them. Cheap and cheaper, more and more. What happens if it gets more and more expensive or gets less and less? Ooh, okay. Flip side of the same, you know, the opposite side of the same coin goes back to these giants, right? And in particular, OPEC, Russia. OPEC and Russia, you know, the oil exporting predators of the US. If the geology of oil is such that it's going to cost more and more to get the marginal barrel to support the debt that exists, which is now massive by virtue of Kicking the problems upstairs for as long as we can mm. have, uh, they mm. suddenly have that decision to make, which is I can sell my oil, get dollars, put the dollars in bonds, treasury bonds, mortgage backs, whatever. And the fact is, is that the geology of such means that in 10 years, those bonds at these interest rates are going to buy me half of the oil that I'm selling today. Yes. That's a stupid trade. That's the kind of trade that gets you overthrown, killed, deposed in those places. The flip side is okay. America, give me the interest rate that keeps me whole. In other words, oil is going to go up seven, eight percent per year on average, or ten years, based on the geology. Which you can kind of see, right? I mean, OPEC—they're coming out to say we need to spend twenty-three trillion dollars to keep oil production, you know, sort of where it is over the next ten years, right? That's a lot of capital. It's a lot of price impulse. America says, okay, what's that interest rate? And you can you can make any kind of assumptions, but it ain't four. It ain't five. It's probably seven, 8, 10. Okay, let's apply seven or eight percent rates to America's debt load secularly. Uh oh. Now it's no longer America can't afford defense entitlements and interest without the Fed printing the money out of tax receipt. Now it's, we're getting scary close to America having to print the interest on the debt alone. And when a nation has to print the interest on the debt, they have a word for it. It's called hyperinflation. That's it. Currency system's done. So that is the sort of super giant decision being looked at by the oil exporting creditors. And in particularly after the two thousands real politique here, you got to have nukes to to enforce that, right? Like Saddam tried it. Saddam's no longer with us. Um, and so, you know, Putin (laughs) has been trying it. Gaddafi tried too. Yeah, he did. And sadly no longer with us either. No longer with us either. Um, these are, you know, these are the, the, the it's these are real politic harsh issues. Um, so that's why I say you have to be nuclear armed. The flip side of that coin is is the oil importing creditors, right? So if you're China and you have a bunch of you sell a bunch of stuff to America and you take in dollar bonds and you hold a dollar bonds, you need to spend those dollar bonds to buy oil. So do the Japanese. Um, to import energy. Well, if the price of energy is going to go up, you're going to run out of dollar bonds. And when you run out of dollar bonds, your currency is going to collapse. So it's not a mystery. They, the Chinese and the Japanese had a front row seat for it in 1997, 98, Indonesia and Thailand, Southeast Asia prices, South Korea. That, that is, again, politically unacceptable, particularly in China, which is not a... Uh, I'll be gentle here. A political ally of the United States, like Japan, is you know we're providing Japan's defense. So there's some give and take there. You know, people say China's the next Japan. Yeah, tell me how many military bases there are. Compare the two: Japan, China. Lots. Zero. China can't uh, um, abide this either. It, it makes no sense for them to store their reserves in F- in in, bo- in treasuries in, in bonds. So that's where the energy side is coming in. Is Unless you get that energy productivity miracle that I've talked about, there's this fundamental mismatch between what the U.S. needs for an interest rate to finance itself, and what the rest of the world needs to sort of reap, you know, to to to, to not end up having given away their oil and getting back dollars that buys them half the amount of oil when the oil production peaks five years, ten years, twenty years, whatever. It's just a bad trade. So that's. That's the fundamental dynamic, the fundamental mismatch.
1: Luke, when you talk energy, I just go back to this high-level thought of real meets fake. We're in an environment where real and fake are more intertwined than they've ever been, right? If, if you have the real, you don't want to take the fake, all right? And, and when we think about monetary tools, gold, treasuries, Bitcoin, these are just abstractions on top of the real. And this is why I love when you go back to the, the, the base layer of energy, right? And so as the current system is becoming more and more fluffy and fake, those that have the real are going to look for abstractions that best reflect the real, right? And, and so that a lot of this is coming to a head, and it's increasingly obvious that US treasuries aren't going to move in the direction of more sound and reflective of the real. Okay. This is where you get into the mathematical... Monetary policy straitjacket of liquidity has to be inserted. So, no, really, no matter what direction you look, which I guess to, to transition that into a question, can you briefly, you've done this a few times recently on shows where you basically just walk through the order, the, the, the options, and the order of, the, of how the spiral goes. Can you do that for us again? Just, just walk through the basic steps of, of why we're trapped in, in a valley and there's only one way out, and that's up and out.
0: Yeah, so this system has basically been, we, we, we give away our industrial base and middle class. They take it, they, China and foreign creditors, take it, take the base. They make stuff. They send us the stuff. We send them the dollars. They send, you know, they send the dollars back in terms of reinvesting into treasuries and US financial markets. And for a while, it was a virtuous cycle. It's, a, it's a basically a vendor financing scheme. And it has its flaws, it had its flaws, but it's, it's no longer working for a number of reasons. Number one, um, China has decided... China, I, think China, I think the fundamental issue is the energy mm-hmm. side of it doesn't work anymore uh, for the reasons we just highlighted. So now you're in this system where we send the dollars there, they are diversifying into other things, right? They are buying up, things that better preserve real value. Equities, ports, oil, gold, uh, weapons, uh, all kinds of different things. Um, the challenge in this, the way it's all set up is by virtue of how the system worked, they we ran deficits, they ran surpluses, they reinvested the surpluses here. That's the vendor financing scheme. They now have a net international investment position of... Uh, 65, 70% of GDP um, uh, relative to us. We have a negative, negative net international investment position, negative 65% GDP, which means foreigners own $18 trillion more in dollar assets net than we own to theirs. At the same time, again, by virtue of how this system has expanded with the euro dollar system, offshore dollar debt, they're also short. They've also borrowed in offshore dollar markets $13 trillion. So they're short $13 trillion, they're long $18 trillion net, and once the US, you know, that that fundamental mismatch I highlighted, right? Of 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 or excuse me, the, the uh, US can't afford defense entitlements and interest out of receipts, if the Fed doesn't print the money to finance the difference, they squeeze the dollar higher, right? They're crowding out global dollar to finance those big three and everything else they do that the US government spends money on. So as the dollar gets squeezed higher. It squeezes the effective servicing for it in foreign currency terms of the 13 trillion in debt. Uh oh, what do we do? Oh, we need dollars. Well, we've got an 18 trillion dollar pile of dollars over here. Oh, great. What's that denominated? Well, it's 7.6 trillion in treasuries, and call it 11 trillion in equities, and sort of everything else. Well, what can we sell most easily? Treasuries. Okay, sell those and get the dollars, and then we'll and. So there's really no breaks on this. The higher the dollar goes, the more pressure there is on the dollar borrowings. Now it's not evenly distributed either. You know, China has a bunch of it. Japan has a bunch of it. Germany has a bunch of it. You know, some of the weaker players, the turkeys, the Argentinas of the world, they don't have a lot of dollar assets. Whatever. So the, the the game it's it's not an evenly distributed unwind. But that's the unwind, and and. It will keep happening, and then it also, by the way, in cents, and you've seen this even in the last three months, right? Argentina's basically out of dollar reserves. And then the Chinese show up and say, hey, we'll, 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 we'll lend the yuan to you. Here's some yuan swap lines. You owe the IMF? Here, take these yuan, and you can pay the IMF. And so it's kind of been funny to watch. People say, no one's going to take yuan. The friggin' IMF took yuan. Hmm. Um. The Argentinians turned around and said, "Here you go." And the IMF said, "Okay," which they have to because it's in their basket of currencies. Um, and that can so the, the basically what I'm saying here is, the more this goes on, the more it incents the de-dollarization of global commodity, market. because the more people run out of dollars when faced with hey collapse or the Chinese with a checkbook. We with the Chinese with a checkbook because oh by the way the Chinese are basically everybody's biggest trading partner anyway. So it's like, all right. So it's sort there there's and paradoxically that will only drive the dollar higher and accelerate this whole thing. And so I think when you look at sort of how this, the breakdown of this system unwinds two things. Number one, the strong dollar, Hey, we're winning mentality is wrong. Mm. It's, it's, you know, we're winning against Argentina and winning it. It's not as clear that we're winning against others. You know, China, right? The fact that U.S. banks broke before China, the fact that the guilt, you know, the, the guilt market broke before China tells you it's, it's, it's not so black and white. Oh, dollar up. We're winning against everything. But then secondly, it's very, very nonlinear. The, more, the faster it goes, the faster it goes. And so there's a lead time here that I don't think people appreciate of how quickly it could go.
2: So we basically traded middle class over to China for you know for a lot of the financialization benefits here in this country. It's hollowed out the middle class, traded it over there, and then they're they're turning around, stopping the buying of treasuries for the most part, and now buying up real assets in the United States. Because and whether or not they planned this, I'm curious your thoughts on it, but they they have a situation where nobody wants to no one wants to trust the chinese communist party no one wants to put significant funds into china but they can use our free and open markets and our rule of law against us in a way by you know being able to buy up the assets that matter here but they have the caveat that because they don't have real rule of law people don't really they, they can't be the center of the financial world until they do do you How do you think that kind of will play itself out or if it will? Because there's so many people like Ray Dalio who think that China is on the rise and they are going to uh, kind of financially take the world eventually. But without that transition to rule of law, being a dictator doesn't really draw anyone's money or funds to you. Do you think that transition is a possibility? And then can that be done without a, a decentralized currency a la gold or Bitcoin?
0: I don't think you can be done without a decentralized neutral reserve asset like gold or Bitcoin. And I think you, know, you go back to 2015, PBOC officials were saying that you know, we're going to internationalize the yuan, we're going to use gold to internationalize the yuan, and the mark of an internationalized currency is the ability to invoice oil and gas in your own currency. And so I guess 2015 at the LBMA conference where they're, they're telling you we're going to use gold to gain the ability to print yuan for oil because on some level they understand that people don't trust the ccp and they don't want i had this discussion yesterday on twitter they they don't want the system as it existed for the last 50 years like that's the the argument that china is going to overtake the dollar system and the yuan is going to replace the dollar as the dollar system has existed for the last 50 years is a straw man argument that's it's not going to happen and it's not even what they want because totally. that would require them to hollow out their manufacturing. And again, where, you know, it, it's there, there's nowhere that is big enough to be able to do that at the moment, what they're going to do. Someone said to you know me the other day on Twitter was I said, as long as they can buy oil and gold and, and they're offering free flow in and out oil and gold, which they are not in large volumes yet, but China's capital account is open through gold. It is also open through oil. You can take profits earned in yuan oil out in any currency you like. You can take gold out uh, of the Shanghai Gold International Exchange. You can take it out Hong Kong. Um, It is convertible. The, the, The capital account is open through gold. It's not a big number partly because gold has not been allowed to be big enough to serve that role by virtue of, of how gold has been managed for the past 40, 50 years by the West. So the way we think about the world is we run the deficits to supply the currency for the global economy work. And that's, you know, we run up this debt, and unless the Chinese are willing to do that, they can't, they can't sort of do what they're achieving or aiming to do, and neither can the Russian. Or I, I think, and why I think it's a straw man argument is that's not what China's trying to do. And they've been saying this for 10 years. They're not, that's not the goal. So the question I was asked, and it's a great question, it was, well, how, are, how, how, is, how is a foreign trading partner of China going to get the yuan in their hand if, if the Chinese aren't going to run the deficits in yuan terms? And that is where the gold comes in, right? So first, take a step back. Who runs a deficit against the Chinese or who, who runs a surplus against the Chinese? So who do the Chinese run a deficit right now? Nobody. It's OPEC, maybe Russia sometimes, and every now and then South Korea. Everybody else runs a deficit, right? So when you think about inflows, outflows, if China's not running a deficit, there's no yuan going out except to oil producers and sometimes the South. Okay, so what are, what's the rest of the world going to use to get yuan? Gold mm. or oil. You sell your gold, you, you go buy gold, you take it to China, you sell it, guess what you get for your gold? You want. Now you've got you want. And so I think ultimately there's this fundamental we're trying to apply the, the, the Western model of the last 50 years. Oh, no, by the way, this was the Western model for the prior 200 years, before the last 50 years. Is we, we're sort of regimented in our thinking of like, oh, this is how all systems have to work. It's the most backward system ever. We're going to run all these deficits forever. You know, China's not going to run deficits forever. They're going back to sort of the way the world worked for most of recorded economic history. People say, well, gold's not big enough to do that. No, not yet. But it will. And people say, well, there'll be a war before that happens. I'll be like, look around. <laughs> look up. Like, do, do, yeah. Yeah, like, these things aren't happening because we don't like Putin. Because he's a gangster. Because because you know, she's a gangster. like They're all gangsters on some level. Right? like." like <laughs> This sure. is these tensions are manifestations of a fundamental disagreement about the future direction of the global economic system, right? The rules-based global China's not playing by the rules-based global order. Russia is not playing by the rules-based global order. Well, clearly the rules-based global order is not you can't invade another country without cause because we did that 20 years ago. So like we did play by the rules. That's not the part of the rules-based global order that's. So what is it? This is what I think it is. It's is, they want to shift the system sort of back to the future, which is, you want to buy something that you want? Go buy gold and bring us the gold and then we'll sell it to you. This is, oh, by the way, something very sort of mechanically similar as happened in the late, I think it was the late 1800s, right? With the, the beginning of the Chinese century of humiliation where, you know, the Brits went over to the Chinese and said, you know, by the way, the Chinese have been like the most dominant culture, five or 800 years up to that point. And the Brits said, we want to trade with you. And the Chinese said, "Hey, great!" And so there's a whole bunch of tea and silk going to Britain, and the British are like, "Hey, we'll give you what do you want?" And the Chinese are like, silver. And at first they said, "Okay," and then the Chinese were so productive they cleaned the Brits out of silver, and Ch- the, the Brits were like, "Well, that's not good," and so ultimately they had to find something else to sort of balance the trade. What did they, use? they used to use opium, and like there's. <laughs> And then there was a war, and then the Brits took Hong Kong as a prize to that war, and uh, yeah, that was the beginning of the century of humiliation. So there's some, there's some things that are right, and that's a gross oversimplification of that whole situation, but I, I do that because it's important to kind of look at the trade flows of what China wants versus sort of what we're used to over the last 40, 50 years, and there's some things that are pretty, there's, there's some history that's rhyming. And I think that looking at using gold, looking at losing oil and commodities to do this, To arrive at the Yuan, you know, to to supply the Yuan to the world.
1: So many good points. I think that is a huge misconception. That we're just going to move from this system to another system that looks like it with another fiat currency at the helm. And it seems so obvious to us, at least from the seats we sit in, that we are watching the contractions of a new monetary order being birthed. Like there is a desperate demand. And this is kind of like the, the the high level theme we've been hitting over and over in this conversation that can't be said enough. The world is desperately thirsty for a neutral reserve asset. And it's, it's hard to picture how it's not going to happen. While you were talking, I just thought of a chapter from uh, Lynn Alden's new book, Broken Money. She says, it's not as though the Eurozone or China can replace the United States as the issuer of a dominant world reserve currency. Neither of those currency blocks have 40% global GDP like the US once had. The Eurozone has a monetary union without fiscal union, insufficient energy security, and top-heavy demographics. China also has top-heavy demographics, weaker geography in terms of coasts and rivers and safe borders, weaker rule of law, and shallower capital markets. And then she goes on to just basically say, the world is shifting more multipolar, neutral reserve currency system rather than a system where one country issues far and away the most dominant world reserve currencies is... That's just not realistic. That's not what we're moving into. And my other comment there, and I think this is near and dear to, to our demographic too, is USD hegemony, the, the, the negatives of USD hegemony are becoming more and more apparent, right? If I was to oversimplify, I would say on the front half of this experiment that's not going well, you saw a lot of that exorbitant privilege and now you're seeing more and more of that exorbitant disadvantage of triffin and dilemma and all these things with the working class getting hollowed out and i love what you're saying cuz i doubt there's many people that want to get in line to to run this same experiment on their fiat currency seeing a lot of the negatives play out for the united states right
2: now yeah also i there's just there's not going to be a superpower after this it seems there's like you said this is a transition into a multipolar world and without somebody able to put a gun to your head and force you to take this fiat currency that they would like, there's, there's not really any way to pull that off. Also, as yep. a joke, like we could also just try the opium on the Chinese again. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Which is crazy, right? Because the fentanyl is coming the other way, right? Where's this fentanyl right. coming from? I mean, I'm <laughs> yeah, sure it's exactly. you guys
2: you guys probably see it. They're actually doing it to us is the yeah, real it, story. They that's are, the real story. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Oh, yeah. We see that shit. It's scary, too. Yeah. And, you know, so it's, and to be blunt, like, I don't think our policymakers in Washington would have care that much about us all getting hollowed out. They haven't, clearly, uh, over the last 25, 30 years. If they had, they would have changed something. However, net, where it's now hitting close to home, COVID, you know, when their own kids, when their own grandkids in Congress couldn't get masks, couldn't get supplies. Why? Because it's all made in China because we don't make this stuff. When the US military sits down with congressional briefings and says, yeah, I listen, I know you want to tell your constituents that we can support Israel and Ukraine. Here are the facts. We can't, we literally don't have the industrial capacity to support these two wars, What you are increasingly seeing. And oh, by the way, this doesn't even apply to Taiwan. Um, that is hitting the home in Washington in a way that is for anyone that's been in sort of the middle of working classes in Middle America for the last twenty five years, is like, well, yeah, duh. But things were so good in Washington and on Wall Street, it didn't matter. Well, now it's really starting to matter that it is it is a threat to U.S. national security, to the credibility of defense readiness. Um, you know, when you have the CEO of Raytheon get quoted in the FT saying, "We can't fight a war." Without Chinese rare earths. And it will take us years to get there. And we aren't the only ones in that position. Um, that is ultimately a currency system issue. That's the dollar. That's what the dollar did. You love the dollar, great. That's the side effect. And increasingly, like I know because talking to the people saying it, that is now understood in Washington. That is now understood at a policy level in this country in a way that was much more ephemeral. They under you know Triffin dilemma. Okay, explain to me what that is. But Triffin dilemma, nobody gives a crap about Triffin dilemma. I can't get masks for my for my kids and my grandkids, yeah. and I can't get shells for my military. That they understand. They understand at a very tangible level, and we're there. So there's a willingness to allow this system to change amongst officialdom in Washington that has not existed in in a long time for very, again, pragmatic, real politic reasons.
1: Right. You also hollow out practical skill sets. Like This is an oversimplification, but peak artificial money means peak artificial workforce. And I'm, uh, there's a lot, many, many, many jobs that are incredibly important where people sit behind computers. But as Jimmy Song, who's a Bitcoiner, has said, there's a lot of MBAs making Excel spreadsheets that no one gives a fuck about, and there's a, th- there's a huge deficiency in people doing the real stuff, and that's coming to a head right now, um, and, and especially as, as as money gets tighter. Uh, a a lot of that is going to be exposed in a way that's already proven to be uncomfortable, and I think will be increasingly so. And as we move into this new system, I think there's a chance, or at least one working thesis we have, is that highly skilled, important labor uh, may get better compensated over the next decade or two if you're in the right space and you're willing to do the uncomfortable. Uh, Because everybody wants to sit in their fucking basement in, in their slippers right now which, which is great <laughs> if you can do that, but the, the market's going to kind of turn another yeah. way, I think.
0: Percent. And, and like it's an advantage. Most people wouldn't say being in Cleveland and doing macro is an advantage. And I think for this moment in time, it actually is because, yeah. you know, when I talk to the 70 year old who has been in the trades his whole life and just sold his business and can't find people, and I listen to an economist in the coast say, well, wage inflation done. And look, can you get wage inflation down tactically? Can you take rates, iron up, and, and create some unemployment amongst sort of, you know, a spreadsheet class of which I am a part? Sure. However, like, when you can't get the part, and, and again, so much of the working class, skilled trades class is age 55, to Seventy, yes, and most of them have a decent little nest egg in the bank, and they're close to retirement, and they don't want to deal with the assache. and so again, like so much else, the Fed and policymakers have done, it's penny wise pound foolish. You in attempting to fight inflation by increasing unemployment, what you're actually doing, you're gonna make you're gonna make inflation a little bit better for the moment, and what you're gonna get on the back end is face-peeling inflation in the skilled trades uh, and shortages, flat-out shortages. Yeah. you know, I mean, God, I saw snowplows. People were getting paid $175 an hour for snowplows last year, and they couldn't find anyone to do it.
2: We see that too. We see very few people signing up to be firefighters as compared to 10 years ago. It's, it's like a 10th or a 20th of what it was. I have one last question for you. I'm sure Dan's got at least one more, but this one is something I've been wondering, especially from your perspective. A couple of years ago, people said the Fed can't raise rates beyond a certain level because it'll just break. Things just won't make it. Well, we've sat here and watched for the last two years as they did just that. And things have been shuffling along for the most part, besides like uh, you know, the uh, SVB bank blow up in March. What is it that you think is going on now that people aren't paying attention to or they, th- they have a view of that they think that just can't happen? where it not only can happen, but potentially will happen. That is, that is just far outside of the uh, window of most people's thinking of, of possibility.
0: I was one of those people. I mean, I was saying, you know, they're not gonna, uh, and they can't. And that view was really based on, they're going to create dysfunction in the treasury market. And like, to be clear, they created dysfunction in the treasury and guilt market last September. And they came in and, and, and treasury weakened the dollar by running on TGA. And then they did it again in March with the banks. And they did BTFP and this sort of, you know, this is that QE, you know, right. riding the woman behind the curtain. <laughs> um, and then they just did it again. We just had, you know, more treasury dysfunction. And so far, sort of, you know, there's been some liquidity metrics that have seen some uptick in, in the last week. I don't know where the money's coming from, but, you know, I've got some, friends across, us, uh, across Wall Street that are like, oh, where the money's coming from, but there's some signs here that there's some liquidity. Can, I don't know where from where. I don't know how long it'll last. We'll see. So the treasury dysfunction that I expected to happen as they raise the rates happened. Uh, they've done a great job of managing kind of this, this process. Um, the stock market decline that I expected to happen when they did it happened uh, last year in particular. The receipts impact. That I expected to happen as a result of the rise in rates and the decline in the stock market happened. Uh, you know, this whole in the last month, lun- uh, month and a half, you've had sort of official dumb economics, you know, Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times. Oh gosh, where are these deficits? These deficits are enormous. They're up enormously. Where are these coming from? It was kind of like, this is exactly what I said was going to happen 18 months ago. You're going to send your your seats up or your your interest up, your receipts down. It's happening. But it ha- we haven't had sort of the big bang moment of like the thing that people aren't watching or expecting to happen. So they are slowing the economy, the private side. They're increasing the deficit. The government doesn't make anything, right? They just grow growing emissions. The private side that needs to make stuff to address the the government spending it's basically the same thing as COVID. So the government's spending more, the private side's putting out less. We don't know. What did that lead to in twenty one. A lot of inflation. And so I think that is the dynamic that people are seeing that could sneak up on them, which is, you know, we've had three straight months of sequential uptick in inflation and this sort of a, you know, oh, some of it's comparisons, some of it's just, eh, maybe it's nothing. I don't think it's nothing. I think it's going to continue. Even if things kind of keep weakening, number one, that's going to surprise people, and then number two, unless they weaken the dollar meaningfully, you're going to this this machinery of the net international investment position being as high as it is, how much of it being treasuries, the foreign debt position, so much of it dollars, creates this vortex where that's the surprise I think is coming, which is if they keep tightening with deficits this high long end of the curve is going to keep rising and if they come in with more dollar liquidity to weaken the dollar to sort of contain the long end of the curve they'll buy themselves a little bit of time you could get a bid for treasury long end of the treasury whatever but ultimately that's going to show up in a couple of months in the inflation metrics and that's going to cause them to lose the end of the long end of the curve so like that to me is the side that i Don't feel like is very very well appreciated which is because the debt and the net international investment position is so big and negative and the debt's so big and the deficits are so big and so structural and the offshore debt position for dollars for corners is so big there was always a moment that was going to come where if they don't tighten they lose the long end and if they do tighten they lose the long end and like that is the moment Um, and that we're, we're not there yet but you can see there from here and uh that is where I think people are not appropriately factoring. And then the second derivative of that of that, which is you know, I don't know what the rate is, but at like eight percent, seven percent, maybe, probably close to eight or nine percent. Forget about defense and forget about entitlements. Yeah. An eight or nine percent rate, maybe it's seven, I don't know. Um, because you have to make some assumptions around the, 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 the convexity of the decline in receipts in what is a highly financialized economy. Um, and that will be very nonlinear, right? So 20% of the economy's finance, insurance, real estate, Five. That's not a sector at 7% that just goes linear. That's like commercial real estate is, is friggin' you know, down 80%. You know, that's how that goes. We saw that yeah. in a way. So if 20% of GDP goes down 80% quickly, now your receipts are going to be down, right? So there's a, there's a world where very quickly, 7%, 8%, 9% rates, and I, I think it's, you know, I don't know what that number is, but there's a world where all of a sudden, forget about defense, forget about entitlement, just interest expense is above receipts. And when, you're interest, when, you, when your interest expense is above your receipts, Markets are forward-looking, so it won't have to happen, but it'll be pro forma. They have a word for that when you have to print the VIG, when you have to print the interest, called hyperinflation. And I'm not saying the U.S. is going to hyperinflate, but I, this is, I, I do think the base case for the U.S. is our US of, you know our Argentina with U.S. characteristics. Um, that is the, the secondary sort of the derivative, right? This was the whole... It's, you know, I said to my wife the other day, where it's this really interesting moment in time because we're in this Forever. Like, Luke, you're crazy. There's not gonna be a treasury problem. The treasury not, you know, rates aren't gonna they, okay. And now we're into this, oh, the deficits did blow out. Oh, the treasury market is dysfunctioning. So what? And it reminds me so much of like the old four oh five time frame where, you know, they would say in the big short, oh, you're crazy, home prices can never fall nationally. Oh, oh. And, then, and then it was there was this moment of time it was like, okay, they are falling nationally, so what? And the time from that to like it wasn't like it was like and we're now in the oh okay so the debt does matter they, even, everyone in Washington okay the debt matters. Paul Krugman is saying we probably need to cut the deficit but we probably won't like Paul friggin Krugman mister the deficit never matters as long as my team's in the White House rah 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 you know he's even admitting it that's the Okay, so home prices are falling nationally, so what? And the second derivative of this this version of this iteration is is oh shit. Interest is yeah. seventy, eighty yeah. percent. You know, that's that they're not gonna default on the debt, they're gonna print the money. They're not gonna cut the defense, they're gonna print the So that's to me the part it's the second derivative of okay, fine, the interest are the, the debt does matter this time. That's the part where I think it's going to smack people upside the head. I think it's really good for gold. I think it's really good for Bitcoin. I think it's probably good for stocks too. To be honest, right? Totally. I think this is
1: where I double back to something I said earlier. Of it's it's as though people know they're in the pot. They know that the burner's on, and they're kind of watching themselves get boiled alive. Like I, this is where I, I encourage people to stay vigilant. These things don't happen in three months, right? And Another analogy we could draw is like the emperor is stripping down. Like he's taking off his clothes. Eventually you will see his cock. Like you're gonna see private parts. You know, you're you're going to see private parts. Like the the trend is going this direction, right? And and I just encourage people like, please keep this on your radar. Just because you've heard, you know, maybe you found economics through Bitcoin and you're like, "Ah, I'm sick of these macro discussions on these podcasts. They're boring. I don't understand what people are saying you, you got to keep listening to the Luke Romans of the world because this trend is not reversing it's escalating and it, the, the dots are being connected in the exact ways that are anticipated and you know as people like Larry Lepard and Greg Foss and Preston Pish and other bitcoiners say like that there's no like this is mathematically assured in some sense that this is going to be uncomfortable we'll end quickly here you've been super generous with your time but just as a closer to to draw this back to to our mantra if you are that tradesman in Cleveland, you're a retired middle school teacher living on a pension, you're a firefighter, you're an engineer with a 401k you're relying on, what is just your closing, overwhelmingly simple statement to that person of how they, they protect themselves from this devolving spiral? How does this get practical?
0: Yeah, I think it's just important to, uh, to understand that we're in for a period very likely a very likely a period of of years of sustained elevated inflation that probably ebbs and flows higher highs and higher lows over the next 5 to 8 years and not to be afraid and panicked about it it's something i found it's a uniquely american trait that when you talk about these things americans Go straight to oh well it's zombie apocalypse and i need you know like multiple shotguns and spam and and <laughs> yeah. like no like this stuff happens with startling regularity around the world to sort of everybody else mm-hmm. uh, it just hasn't happened here in a very long time and so it's if for the average person concerned about their financial future it's take 10 15 percent of your assets put you know Ten percent in gold, five percent in Bitcoin, and like, then don't really change anything else. You know, you know, I don't think I would take that fifteen percent out of long-term debt. You know, whatever long-term bond fund you own, take fifteen percent of of your total assets, take it all out of long-term bonds, and put ten percent in physical gold and put five percent in Bitcoin, and 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 like, go live your life. Like it, you're gonna be fine. Like this isn't about. You know, trying to become the next Ray Dalio and so much on Twitter is like, oh, to trade this, trade that. Like, yeah, there's no trading this. Like, like most of the pros, myself included, aren't going to be able to trade this. Um, and the average person has going to have no chance on trying to trade this. This is just about, amen. Totally agree. You know, have a fire insurance policy in place. Have the fo- you know, have the firefighters on speed dial, and like. You know, when the fire breaks out, don't throw water on a grease fire and like just, you know, just have have ten percent physical gold, five percent Bitcoin. Like, you're gonna be fine. And if you lose fifteen, like, say those two things go to zero. No, by the way, like gold has never gone to zero in five thousand years of history. But say they both go to zero. You're down fifteen percent of your asset. Who cares? Like the good news is that means you you're, the rest of the bonds that you own in short term are going to be up in real terms. Like it's it's all about just having a balanced perspective in a way that unfortunately most financial advisors aren't going to have. Mostly 60/40, 60% equities, 40% bonds or vice versa. You haven't had to think about the currency for in America for 50 years, 45 years. And you need to think about the currency. And like it is what it is. You just yeah, and yep. go live your life.
2: Yeah, that emperor has got some doting eyes. You got to get yourself ready before those panties drop.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the last thing I'll chime in with, I'm sure you'd resonate with Luke, is develop a marketable skill set that's going to stand the test of time. Keep your cash flow free, your skill set marketable. Take some hedges against the the fiat Ponzi, and and uh, yeah, don't live in fear. I think that's another great message. Raise a family, play some golf. Don't freak out every second, but but stay vigilant because uh, yeah. we are in a different couple decades than uh, the last the last few. Uh, no doubt about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, and look for rule changes. Right? I mean, just the you know the, the 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 rules do change on you, right? So it's there's how can you hedge those rule changes of of you know, hey, I've got a bunch of rentals. Okay, well, what happens if that if that municipality says you know, what your property taxes are up a hundred percent? Right, right, controls. Yeah. You know, Right, rent controls. Now, what? Yep. Like, you just stress test. You know, if you have a lot of exposure to one area, it's, 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 it's not the time to have a lot, you know, a whole ton of exposure to one area, whatever that area is. I love it, but I've also highlighted people like, oh, structure your size in Bitcoin, in gold, to a world that existed from 1933 to 1974, which was gold was illegal for 40 years for Americans to own. Did they come and take it from you? Not really. Could you sell it easily? No. What would happen if, for the next 30 years, they say you're not going to be able to get in and out of the on ramps very easily without going, sort of, you know, without being made a criminal, you know, by moving through the the lightning net, you know, to move something? What if that happens? Do I think it's going to happen? No, I hope it doesn't. But we're into a world where you have to consider it could. Everything's a fat tail. That's when the,
2: the state shows its teeth, you know, when things get sideways. So just be. Yeah, prepared. it's very
0: dangerous to be right when powerful men are wrong. I think it was uh, um, either Montesquieu or, or, or um, Lafayette. It wasn't Lafayette. At any rate, the famous quote It's very dangerous to be right when, when powerful men are wrong. And powerful men are wrong, right? It's, it's Will Rogers. It's almost been worth this depression to see how little our big men know. That's where we are. So it just, you have to be balanced, I think, across not too much debt, not too little debt fix it out term it out if you have a mortgage the lowest rate as possible as long as possible have you know just you want to be about it's gonna be very very hard to trade through this this isn't about old oh, maximizing money this is about you know getting through and living life
2: great advice thanks for
1: your generosity with your time this morning luke hand off to you and your work for our audience as you leave
0: Oh, sure. Thanks. Uh, um, More information about our product, we've got uh, mass market products and institutional products, fftt-llc.com. And as you guys know, I've got uh, a pretty uh, active Twitter feed, at Luke Grohman, L-U-K-E-G-R-O-M-E-N. Thanks, Luke. Appreciate you, man. Yep. Thanks for having me on, guys. Great chatting again.
1: Well, that does it for this one, folks. What a privilege it is for us two firemen to interview some of the brightest minds in macro. Luke goes deep. Luke certainly gets detailed. And even for us, some of this goes over our head. But at the end of the day, a lot of what Luke communicates is actually quite simple. The world's monetary system is breaking down and it's evolving quickly. Stay vigilant, stay agile, and stay informed. This decade could get interesting. If you do like the Blue Collar Bitcoin podcast and you listen regularly, it'd be huge for us if you take a minute or two out of your day right now to rate us on whatever app you're using, or leave us a review. If you aren't listening to us on the Fountain app, you should download it and start earning free Bitcoin the moment you click play. There is no catch. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we look forward to another hour of exploration next week here on BCB.